for the warm welcome. Thank you, church, for welcoming me. Uh, it's a good day. Amen. Are we happy to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Let me read Ephesians 4 from, uh, from verse 30 to 32 and jump into the word. Ephesians chapter 4, 30 and 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So this morning I'd like to talk to you on the topic of forgiveness. Uh, if you are taking notes, my title is Let Forgiveness Flow. Uh, so let me just... Uh, uh, say a word of prayer and we'll jump into the word. Father God, I thank you for your presence this morning. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that allows us to come to you unhindered, to be called children of God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, anointing me this morning to speak the word. I pray that I do not speak as I will, but Holy Spirit, speak what you want or what, what your people need, Lord. Help me in everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the text that we just read gives us a mandate to forgive as we were forgiven. Uh, to forgive is a mandate that has been given to us by the Lord. It's not a suggestion or an opinion, but it's a command. Uh, the, the, in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, what does it say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who sin against us, right? So in everything, we find it as a central command. However, Christians seem to have different responses to this command or different excuses. They may say, well, how can I forgive if they haven't asked for it, you know? Or they, they would say, God fully understands what I went through. He knows the pain that I've endured. I'm sure he doesn't expect me to forgive. Uh, or, or we may even say, oh, what they've done is unforgivable. I don't think God himself would forgive them, let alone me. <laughs> so we make systematic excuses towards that. But the real question that we must be asking ourselves, ourselves is, which do we prefer, the peace of God or bitterness? Or, or the real question is, am I willing to avoid this deeply systemic flight from paying the price of forgiveness to come to a life of true discipleship? All right? So uh, forgiveness is an act of true discipleship. And as church, it is our mandate. So uh, today, I hope to talk about the motivation of forgiveness, uh, why we should forgive, how we can forgive, and the result that that will have both personally in our own lives and to those around us on a national uh, and a community level. Amen? All right, let me take you to Matthew chapter 18, starting from verse 23. Matthew chapter 18, start from verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 
Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown him to prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me too. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back what he owed. This section gives us an excellent definition of forgiveness is canceling a debt. It's not talking about a debt. It's not uh, reminding about the debt. It's not giving an opportunity for you to pay your debt on a long-term basis, a payment plan. No, it's canceling the debt. All right? Uh, so here, the 10,000 bags of gold represent our sins to God. Jesus died on the cross to pay that for us. That sin is so much that we could never be able to pay it. It's only through the sacrifice of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to receive that forgiveness and be able to be free of debt. Amen? Uh, so if we understand that our debt is much larger than what we have to forgive, it should motivate us to forgive. If Jesus went to the cross because of the sins of the world, it means that what took him to the cross was your sin and mine. Amen? So that should really motivate us to forgive. Right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11 says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. This is Paul speaking. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. So, harboring any unforgiveness allows the enemy to have a foothold in our lives, to have an opening to enter our lives. Uh, so, more than sometimes, more than uh, spiritual warfare and uh, uh, prayer, sometimes obedience and the act of forgiveness allows us to close the door of the enemy in our lives. So let's not, the enemy, let's not ha allow the enemy to have the opportunity to work in our lives, but live a life of freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's go to Matthew 18, verses 21 to 22. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy seven times or 70 times seven times so sometimes so we might be doing that calculation okay 70 times seven that's 490 so is that per day per week 
per year or is it for the whole lifetime you know no that's not what it's talking about it's talking about something that we continuously do throughout our lives now um, God has given Jesus as a ransom for our sins so whenever we sin we go to Jesus to ask for forgiveness it's something that we do on a continuous basis we are saved by repenting at one time and we receive that free gift at once but in the fellowship of our walk with God whenever fellowship is broken we have to go back and have a life of repentance right so every time we go back to Jesus and ask for forgiveness if he says again you're back here again asking for forgiveness how many times do I have to forgive you imagine that but Jesus doesn't say that he is always forgiving us every single time over and over we come to him and he is faithful to forgive us so that is what is expected of us too 70 times 7 means on a regular continuous basis one thing that we notice when we talk about continuous forgiveness is that our need for continuous forgiveness is much more needed in close relationships than it is in further relationships for example i may interact with sisbo 10 times a month and maybe we have one disagreement one out of 10. Uh, so the chances of disagreements is low but uh, let's say with my wife we see each other let's say we interact five times a day that's 150 times a month so if we take the same 10 percent that means the chance of conflict is 15 times in a month that's every other day <laughs> so so every time if she says how many times do I have to forgive you why are you doing this to me it's not that my character has changed my character is the same to Sisbo and same to her but the change is that the chance of interaction are more so when we have conflicts in our close relationships let's not make it about them God gives us the mandate to exercise forgiveness continuously amen first John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness the key word here is all unrighteousness it doesn't say some unrighteousness it doesn't say what's acceptable or there's no limit to it it says all unrighteousness so if God is willing to forgive us from all sins then we should be willing to forgive others from all sins but if we say God gave Jesus as a sacrifice so that our sins can be forgiven so he may be able to forgive you but I won't be able to forgive you we're saying well my standard of morality is so high that even if God forgives you I can't forgive you it's just that I'm, I'm, I'm up here you know but no no one can be above God if he's willing to forgive all sins then we should be able to do that as well man so if, if, if I've talked uh, this much about uh, our motivation for forgiveness let me talk a little bit about what forgiveness is not because understanding uh, 
what forgiveness is and isn't helps us in our walk. Sometimes in the way we see or, oh, because we're Christians and we should forgive, sometimes we may take something out of balance. So I'm just going to say a little bit to help us in that balance. So forgiveness of sins is not approval of the wrong that is done. We have to label a wrong a wrong before we can forgive it. Uh, Jesus, uh, I mean, God calls a sin a sin before he forgives. When they brought that woman who was found in adultery, Jesus said, uh, does, uh, is, does anyone judge you? She said, no one. Then she said, I, judge you. I don't judge you either. But he didn't stop there. He said, go and sin no more. All right, go and sin no more. He says, yeah, what you've done is a sin, but go and sin no more. I don't judge you. I forgive you, but go and sin no more. So we have to first acknowledge what has been done before we forgive. Uh, Cancelling the debt of being wrong first starts with acknowledging that there is a debt. Amen? It also does not mean suppressing. Sometimes when it's a traumatic situation, we tend to suppress it and we don't want to think about it. We bury it somewhere, but burying it will not bring healing. True healing comes when we acknowledge it and then make the choice to forgive. That's when we find true healing. That's when it will be healing for us as well. Another thing, it's not excusing. We may say, oh, they couldn't help it. You know, under the circumstances, this was all what they could do and kind of give an excuse. Some Christians have this kind of thinking. Just because God is a God of forgiveness does not mean he excuses sin. God hates sin. It is the depth of his love that allows us to access that forgiveness, not the fact that he's excusing sin. A wrong is a wrong. Just in the same way, we have to acknowledge what's done wrong and then forgive. Do you know why it's important for us to not to ignore or suppress or excuse a sin, but to acknowledge it? Because forgiveness is an act of true discipleship. It is costly. It costs us. There is a pain involved. There is obedience involved. The power of the Holy Spirit is needed to be able to truly forgive. And all this gives glory to God. So when we say, oh, it's okay, it's no problem, we are denying the glory to God. But when we acknowledge it and when we forgive, then God gets the glory. Amen? Amen. So how do we forgive? 1 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Sometimes we go around with our record of what's been done for us. Just in case anybody doubts, I have proof. I can take it out at any time. And and I'll show that. But love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. And so uh, when we know what has been done, but we choose to tear it up, we choose to erase it, then that becomes uh, forgiveness. It allows us to tear up the record of wrong before it, uh, we allow it to be lodged in our hearts. Amen? One thing, uh, tearing up does not mean forgetting. We don't lose the memory of the event, but we lose the power that it has over us. Amen? So it's not, it's not forgiving and forgetting. No, no. If we're, if we're forgetting, then there's a problem. No, we don't forget the event. No but it loses its power because we let it go. So uh, sometimes it's, like I said, especially at first, it doesn't start out, 
as a feeling, but it starts out as a choice, as an obedience. We make the act to obey. We say, Lord, this is difficult, I know, but I choose to obey you, and I choose to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to forgive. But then that starts our path of healing towards us being healed, and then the feelings of that forgiveness and love come to us. So don't be alarmed if you have if you go back to those thoughts. It's a, it's sometimes it's a process of healing, especially depending on what happened. Amen. All right. Forgiveness also must take place in our hearts. It's an issue of the heart. Amen. If we truly forgive in our heart of hearts, then it will show. But if we don't forgive, it may come out in our words, in speaking. Uh, also, one thing that uh, we need to understand that forgiveness is between us and God. It's a vertical relationship. If we're waiting for someone to come and apologize before we can forgive, then we may never find that freedom. Amen? Because uh, what we need to understand is Jesus died on the cross for us. All right? But did he die only for Christians or did he die for the whole world? He died for the whole world. So basically what he's saying is because... Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, forgiveness has been made available to everyone. So it's an open invitation for everyone to come and receive that. But it's only when we accept that call that we are able to receive the new life, that we are able to become children of God, and that we are able to be saved. In the same way, we make forgiveness available to everyone who has offended us, whether or not they come and ask for it because at the end of the day it is god we want to please it's between us and god amen so reconciliation requires two people reconciliation requires that the offender comes and asks for forgiveness for that relationship to be restored but forgiveness is between you and god the funny thing is most of the people that you need to forgive don't even either they don't know they've done something wrong or even if they know they've done something wrong they they believe it's justified they say under the circumstances this is what i had to do and even if there was another opportunity i'd do it again and so it's it could be a difference of, of opinion it may offend you but uh, they may not accept it but when we are able to fully release it regardless of the other person then we are able to exercise that freedom. That's why you are able to forgive someone who has already died and find freedom. Amen? Um, how do we know that we have forgiven? How do we know that we have released? What is the, the litmus test of our forgiveness? It is when we refuse the urge to spread the word. Some people say, oh, let me tell you, my brother, how I've been offended and how I have forgiven. It is for your education. And they tell us a story. And then they find somebody else and say, Brother, let me tell you of this story. And then they keep talking. So in a way, they haven't truly forgiven, but they are spreading the word in the effort, in the, I don't know, I don't know if I want to call it subconscious, but in the effort to harm that person with telling the issue to as many people as we can and then telling them how righteous we are because we have forgiven. 
Now, it doesn't work that way. A good, a good example would be, imagine all the sins that you have repented to Jesus. Only you and Jesus know about these sins. Imagine if Jesus was going around telling them to everybody around you. You know, telling the pastors and the ministers and your friends. And he's just saying, do you know what he did? That's unimaginable, right? I don't think uh, some of us will even come to church after that. No, but he guards it as a secret, telling no one. But it just ends between you and him. Just in that same way, it should, you should guard it as a secret and it should end between you and God. And it should not be told to anyone else. Maybe uh, an exception would be if it's a process of counseling and during that counseling that you may need to reveal it in that confined safe space, you may be able to open that. Or if there's some kind of arbitration being done uh, between, uh, for reconciliation, then maybe in those specific situations, just for those people who are part of the process, you may reveal it for a purpose. But if it has no purpose, then you should keep it as a guarded secret. Amen? Then uh, another way that we truly know is Matthew 5:44 says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So when we are able to pray for those people who have offended us and we say, God, bless them truly from our hearts, bless them, may their life prosper. And when we're able to exercise that towards them, then we have, it's a sign that we have truly been able to release. Amen. Let me talk a little bit about forgiveness as a platform for evangelism. Um, forgiving somebody who has wronged us is a mark of Christian discipleship. Why, why do I say that? Is because it is difficult. I don't know what your situation is and I don't know what issue that you have, but depending on whatever has happened, it is difficult. So I'm not here making light of your situation or saying, you know, you know, the word says forgive, so forgive. You know, no, no, it's not, it's not an easy thing. That's why it's a mark of Christian discipleship. That's why it requires a decision. It's painful, but I still choose to obey because you command me, because what you've done for me is more than what could I, I, I could ever think. Then we're able to extend that love and then people will see that. Amen? So imagine if every Christian in every church around the globe lived and exercised forgiveness on an everyday basis. Imagine how many people would be flowing to the church. Imagine if we allowed uh, uh, forgiveness and grace to define the relationship uh, among ourselves. If people would say, you know those Christians, their relationship is just amazing. You know, they, they accept each other so much. But sadly, that's, uh, th that is a testimony of Christians in a way, but sometimes that's not our testimony. Sometimes in offices and different organizations and schools, you would see that there is strife among the Christians. And then the unbelievers would see that and they say, hmm, did you see that? They're not talking to each other. There's something going on there. More than what you can imagine, people are watching us. They see what we do carefully because they want to test whether or not we are living out what we are preaching. All right? 
So imagine if, if we lived, we were a community who lived out like that, that our churches would be known to unify, that divorce would not be heard of around the church. If those situations grew, imagine what uh, uh, it, impact it can make to the lost. A life of forgiveness is proof for the world that the gospel is more than just words to us, that we are walking it out. When we uh, read the story in Matthew 18 about the servant, we are quick to judge of his hypocrisy. We say he just got a debt of 10,000 bags of gold canceled for him, and he couldn't even cancel 100 silver coins. But sadly, if we look into our, our lives, we might be guilty of the same hypocrisy. And uh, the world sees that. Can we truthfully claim, you know, we're, 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 when we're preaching the gospel to people, we're saying that God loves you. His love is so wide and deep. He forgives all your sins. It's like you are becoming new. And we preach about the grace and the love and the acceptance. And we say, I've accepted that grace. I've accepted that love. But then when they see our lives, we're not able to give that same love to our neighbors then our testimony loses power. Amen? Uh, God suffered greatly so that everyone could be saved, right? Jesus took the sufferings and the pain on the cross so that many could be saved. He's asking us to take a small part of that, the pain of having to forgive so that somebody could be saved, so that somebody uh, can uh, hear the gospel. Uh, Hebrews tells us about the blade of the blood of Abel that cries out for vengeance, but it says that the blood of Christ speaks a better word, speaks a word of reconciliation, right? So, why is forgiveness a, a, a much stronger uh, influence on for evangelism? Because they don't see that normally in the world. Because it's difficult to forgive, most people have a hard time forgiving. But we have an ingredient that no one else has. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. So through obedience, when we allow that, uh, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to forgive through our choice, through our decision, then that can be seen as uh, a powerful example of something that's lived out, something that they can't find, find anywhere else. And then they would say, okay, there's something different about this person. He, he was, they did this and this and this to him, but he chose to forgive. And they would wanna come to church and they would wanna hear the message. Um, so more than any smart words we could write to persuade others, the power of the gospel is in our act of forgiveness. That's our true witness. In Acts 18, uh, Jesus uh, said to Paul, I have people in this city. God is saying to you today, I have people in you, in your office, in your within your relatives, in your community. There are people that if you choose to take that step of reconciliation and forgiveness, people would see that and they would want to know more about Jesus. Amen? Let me talk a, a little bit about uh, uh, forgiveness as a seed to the, the nation. 
C.S. Lewis is uh, an apologetic and a writer uh, who lived in the early, uh, early 20th century. He, as a young man, he went to, the, uh, he went to war, in the First World War, and then uh, during this, he wrote most of his books in the Second World War. Uh, and uh, it was uh, an environment of where there was war and politics where it was very heightened. And uh, in one of his books, he says this. He says, Christians living in an emotionally charged political climate begin to prioritize their political identity ahead of their Christ-like identity. That was his observation. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What he's telling us is, you are first and foremost a child of God. Before your ethnic persuasion, before your political persuasion, before anything, you are first a child of God. So that is your first identity, and that is what should be leading your life. The Word of God is supposed to be your compass to lead your life instead of other factors. So before we respond, before we say anything, what we need to say is, how does the Word of God want me to respond in this situation instead of looking at other things? We pray for our nation, we pray for peace, we pray for reconciliation, but more than that, when we decide to truly live out as disciples through the act of forgiveness, then we are allowing that spirit of forgiveness to flow outside of the church into the nation. Amen? The, church, the nation needs us. We've said that we are the ecclesia. We are uh, 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 the ambassadors of Christ, that we are representing the nation, that what happens in the church affects the nation. Then through our obedience, we are able to affect the nation. Amen? So I'll ask you to pray today to, sh to allow the Holy Spirit to show you if there's any area in your life that you need to forgive, to uh, think about any relationship that needs to be restored, um, also to practice forgiveness uh, in a way that becomes a witness to those around us. Uh, bef before I conclude, let me just uh, tell you one story and then I'll finish my message. About 10 years ago, as I was uh, uh, doing my master's abroad, uh, the, pastor, uh, the pastor shared this story and really uh, uh, touched me, so I want to share that with you. Uh, so there was this mother, she had one son, and uh, when he was 15 years old, he got mixed up with the wrong crowd, and he started uh, drinking and doing drugs and different kinds of things. So he was with his friend, and one night they were driving around drunk, and they ran a red light. And so when they ran a red light, uh, at the intersection, they were hit by another car. So this, this guy was driving, and her son was sitting in the passenger seat. So the car hit, hit them on the passenger side, and the kid died immediately. So uh, the, the, the driver was sentenced to second-degree murder, and he was sent to a juvenile detention center. And the mother was bitter. She was angry. She was bitter. Her, she'd lost her only son, and she was just bitter. Then one day, the pastor said, I was preaching on forgiveness. And then at the end of the service, I said, 
anyone who wants to forgive today as a mark of your obedience i want you to come to the altar and he started calling for people come to the altar as a as an expression of obedience and she just got angry she says how dare he asked me to forgive does he not know what has happened to me and then she picked up her bag and started walking out of the church and as she was walking out of the church the holy spirit spoke to her she he's, the holy spirit said if you start walking this way you will never come back that's what he said if you start walking on this path you will never come back and then she stood there and she had to make that hard decision to forgive and she turned around went back to the altar and said lord i can't but you can enable me to forgive and she just came to the altar and then after a, uh, after a little bit she decided to go and to visit this young man in the juvenile detention center so she, when she went in, he couldn't believe to see her. He said, why are you here? Why are you here? I've done terrible thing. You should not be here. And she just told him, I forgive you. You know, I don't, I don't hold anything against you. I forgive you. And she started visiting him from time to time. And through that relationship, um, she witnessed the gospel to him and he gave his life to the Lord. And after about six, seven months, the detention center said, uh, this kid had no parents, so they said, if there's anyone who's willing to adopt him, we're willing to release him. And she said, I will take him. And then she took him to her home, and he started living with her. And the pastor said, when I saw them in church worshiping together, I couldn't but just glorify God about what he's doing. So right now, I just want us to take a, a, a few minutes while, while they're playing the keyboard for us. Just take uh, one or two minutes while you're seated there, while everyone's seated there. If you say, I'm struggling with forgiveness. I want to forgive, but I feel I can't. Or if you say, I want the Holy Spirit to help me. Just as an act of faith, I won't ask you to come forward, but wherever you are, if you can just put your hand on your heart and just stand up wherever you are and ask the Holy Spirit to enable you. Uh, let's just take one, two minutes. So it's just, it's not something that we do for people or, or whatever situation that we are in, just a response before God. If we're just able to say, Lord, enable me to forgive as you have forgiven me and as you have loved me, as you have allowed me to experience your love over my life. I want you to do the same. I want to do the same for others. Enable me. Give me the power to do the same for others.